So if you were here last week, I introduced us to what I termed the wild season of Advent. Uh, because the readings that are prescribed for each week leading up to Christmas, uh, uh, the Christmas event, the 25th, are readings this year from the Gospel of Luke. And we began with Jesus' words last week in the 21st chapter of Luke, talking about the end times. Because Advent, as Pierce, I think, alluded to before we lit the candle, that Advent has this two-fold timing, one of remembering and celebrating the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ, but also knowing he's coming again and that we are to be ready. And as I said last week, it's like that slap in the face, wake up, he's coming again. Get your house in order, get your lives in order, because there are rough days ahead, and, and we thought, many of us, as we experienced, we're in them right now. So, wild times ahead last week. This week, as we look at the scriptures, uh, we back up to the third chapter of Luke, where we see the introduction of John the Baptist, although you've heard about John and uh, you'll know more about him in a, in a week after this for another uh, reading from Luke. But in this particular section, we read about his, his calling, if you will, and then also his message that he proclaimed of uh, repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And basically, uh, what I called, we've gone in this wild times ahead, now it's wild expectations. So if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to be turning to the Gospel of Luke, the third chapter. I'll be reading verses 1 through 18. As we think about wild ex expectations, those of you who are of my generation, north or south of 10 years of my age, you know, prehistoric times, before the internet, before eBay, before uh, Amazon, before Etsy, or any of those other things that you could shop online, at this time of year, probably in November, at my P.O. box, because we got our mails at a, mail at a post office with the P.O. box, P.O. box 355, Anna, Illinois, came the J.C. Penney Christmas catalog, or perhaps the Sears and Roebuck catalog. And let me tell you, if you were a child, that replaced your Bible. <laughs> Some, can I get an Amen. You had, well, let me just play this video clip. And if you had one of those things, or you wanted one of those things, shout it out. Go ahead. I may have to stop you because it gets me carried away. 19, so I would be eight on that particular year. Not all the pictures were true up photographs. Look at the prices too. Oh, oh, Roy Rogers. <laughs> yeah, I would break those. Lost in danger. I wanted that robot so bad. Didn't want her. Sister had her. Look how cheap she was. iPad for children. James Bond. Wait, James Bond even in those days. Look at all that stuff. I mean, it's like an arsenal for children. Uh, never knew that Sears did have automotive centers. Remember that? Attack, th forgot, yeah. Uh, I think it goes actually for another whole minute. I think there's one or two more things that 
Skipper, I didn't know. That's Barbie's little sister. That's what I wanted to keep it for. Look what the price, Nick. Look at the price. It's $90. Why? It's 35 feet of track. I couldn't believe that. Never got that one either. But I had wild expectations. And God has wild expectations for you. Luke will begin in this third chapter with historic precision. He outlines to his readers exactly when John appeared. It's the modern day interpretations that we argue whether it was 28, 29, or 30 AD. Because he will begin even saying it was the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. And I'm going to read this to you in just a little bit. But let me put it in Cliff Perry uh, timing. It was the first year of Jimmy Carter's presidency. The first year of Big Jim Thomas as the governor of Illinois. He would serve 14 years. It was the third year of Paul Simon serving, not the singer, serving Bowtie Paul, if you remember Paul Simon, as the representative to the United States from my part of Illinois. And it was the final year of Dr. Waller Bartles, who was the pastor at First Baptist Church, Hilotus. When the word of God came to me, son of Robert, and said, go ye and preach. 1977 for me, 29 AD for John. And Luke will recall these words from Isaiah, the 40th chapter. And, and I should probably pause there for a second. Some of you have at least heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Often attributed, it came from that northwest uh, side of the Dead Sea in the area, mountainous area where the Qumran uh, community met together. Many will think that John was a part of that community. These were uh, disillusioned priests who were tired of the corruption and basically the abuse of the position in, Israel, in Jerusalem. And they had moved out and began their own community of faith. And there these men practiced a holiness and an inward uh, inspection of their lives that they deprived themselves of many things. In fact, they ate honey, wild locusts. And they talked in prophetic terms, as in, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And that's what John emerges from, saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Chapter 3, verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Etura, and Triconteus and Lysinti, and these are hard for me to say, tetrarch of, I say Abilene. I listened to a pronunciation of this week. It said Abilene. If you're from Texas, you probably say Abilene. During the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. So all that to say, about 29 AD, he went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, 
A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Make a hole. Those of you in the military know exactly what I'm saying. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and every hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds, what the average, average Baptist preacher would say, coming out to be baptized to him, you brood of vipers. I thought about that. What if our greeters said that this morning as you came into church? You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. My daddy was a preacher. My uncle was a deacon. That's basically quoting family tree versus individual faith. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asks. John answered, the man with two tunics shall share with one who has none, and the one who has some food should do the same. Tax collectors, also called, came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some of the soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of his sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John extorted the people and preached the good news to them. Not extorted. <laughs> he basically, yeah. He basically, uh, he called them a brood of virus. He lifted them up, exhorted. Let's pray. Lord, as we lift up one another with these words that John gave to the listeners that came out to hear him, the words that you gave him, we can share with one another. That we must repent, we must seek the forgiveness of our sins, and we must produce the fruit of that repentance. Help us to see that, help us to understand that you have some very wild expectations from each one of us. Speak to our hearts, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So with this wild expectation comes wild humility. When John comes from the wilderness, having heard a word from God, it is a preparatory message, and he speaks to one major issue. That the issue is preparation. The way to prepare, John says, beginning in verses 2 and 3, is that you must repent. Doubtless, by now you have learned, as I have, that this word, repentance, is a dramatic word. In the Greek, it is, uh, you'll never remember this, but I'll give it to you anyway, metanosius. It means a change of mind, a change of direction. It also bears with it the idea of guilt. From Hebrew, it is both a physical word and a emotional word. It has action and it has passion. 
In other words, it is someone who understands the wrong in which they have committed or inflicted and now bears the guilt as they go back seeking forgiveness. It is a feeling that erupts from the heart, the innermost part of the spirit, and even mandates a change in deeds and actions. The way I would illustrate it, it is the way the prodigal son felt as he walked back to his father before he ever saw the father's face. Because don't you know, once he saw the father, the burdens were lifted. But walking back the entire time, what I have done to my dad, what I've done to myself, the money that I've spent, the actions that I have committed, and he's walking back to the father with an idea of repenting. Knowing Christ requires a lifestyle of repentance. Not a moment, but a lifestyle of repentance. I'd like to suggest to you today that it is more than a single act. Oh yeah, I was forgiven of my sins, now I can go live exactly like I wanna live. No, it is a lifestyle. It is a way of living. To put it in more poetic words, it is the process of keeping soft before the Spirit of God, allowing the Spirit of God to turn up in our lives to bear fruit and go on record for Him of what we're going to do for Him. Like my favorite hymn says, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. It is a lifestyle of repentance. But we typically, as Christians, are known for being less than repentant or humble. Dr. Tom Long is a uh, professor emeritus from Chandler School of Theology. That also, uh, the giant from there was Dr. Fred Craddock, who I, I've used his illustrations. I've used a couple of Tom Longs as well. I think he actually uh, was on staff for a while at the National Cathedral. He's a great preacher, great theologian. He tells a story you know, Chandler School of Theology is in Atlanta, and he tells a story in one of his sermons when he had uh, moved to Atlanta and joined a church. He had to go through a church membership class, just like we might do. And at this church membership dinner, they were to take, so we can take a note from that, Pierce. We do have lunch usually, sometimes it's pizza. I don't know if you, you know. Um, they were sitting around the table discussing what made you decide to join that particular church. And he said, one person said, well, it was in our neighborhood. The, the, the building looked so nice and the parking, it was convenient. And this is where we chose to go. And another person said, well, it's for our kids. You know, there's so many activities and, and in the summer we can get rid of them. I mean, they can go off on a youth trip for a couple of weeks or a week or so. And, and it was just really good for our kids. And finally, uh, Tom says there was another man and they said, well, why did you join? He goes, well, I just want you to know. He said, I, for the better part of 30 years, actually the better part of my life, he said, I was an addict, drug addict. And he said, an alcoholic. And he said, I felt the power of God in this church that I might find forgiveness in a new way of life. And Tom said, everybody's looking at their shoes, you know, thinking I joined for having time away from my kids or a better parking place. And here's a man who joined for forgiveness, joined because of repentance. That's what the church must be about. And it's so easy for the church to forget that at its core the mission, we are to see lives changed. We are to see one at a time people coming to know Christ Jesus.
People who had been walking zigzag, not knowing which way to go, can go straight with the grace of God. People whose lives have been battle damaged by events and people and all the things that happen can feel loved as they've never been loved before because of the love of Jesus. Salvation and the announcement of that is what the church exists for today. And as Luke's three simple message reminds us, that salvation reaches down into the most ordinary lives and transforms those lives to make each person not a superstar or a blissful person, but to make each person as God intended them to be and to shine with the radiant hope of Jesus Christ. John greets his congregation, you brood of vipers. I have a lot of fun with that. I thought about different ways I could do it. I could be standing at the door this morning. You brood of vipers, why are you here? I knew you wouldn't come. Probably wouldn't be very popular for a Baptist preacher to say that, but, you know, I, here he was. We all need to have a reminder that we live too often sinful lives because we did it under the umbrella of repentance. And we, are, we have been, if you're a Christian, you've been forgiven. But it's too easy to let that sinful life creep back in there and you forget, I, I'm perfect. No, you're not. You brood of vipers. Wild humility says, I will kneel at the feet of Jesus each and every day. Knowing that while I'm in this flesh, I am never going to reach perfection. In fact, just talk to your spouse and you know you won't. Robert Fulgham has long been one of my favorite authors. You know, his first thing is everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten. Uh, he's got one. Uh, it was on fire when I laid down on it. He's got a lot of different uh, books. And he was a Baptist preacher. He was a, he's a Baylor grad that turned to a Unitarian minister who turned into an author. But some of his stuff is, uh, well, I use it for a lot of years. And, and this one illustrates, and I think I may have even told it one time here, uh, but it came to my mind, this idea of humility and repentance together. He tells a story, and I, I've been in so many airports in my life. Those of you who have done a lot of traveling, you know, if you go shop in those little airport stores, like water is like five bucks, and, and they won't let you take it through because, you know, all the modern things that happen now. And Brennan and I usually always buy a water bottle or whatever, and so there's five bucks. And then if you want a snack, that's another like $100, it feels like, and you, you've got yourself you know, a little package of something. And he said he'd gone to that store, one of those stores, he said he bought one of those little sleeves of cookies. You know, duplex cookies is what I call them. They got black and white with cream in the middle. He said it's one of those little sleeves, about five or seven of them. It's an odd number. He said he sat down to wait for his, you know, his gate, to wait for the plane to come and or to be able to go. And he said he noticed that the lady sitting beside him opened the package of cookies that he had and took one out and started eating it. He said, I just reached down there quickly and got one myself. He said, and as soon as she finished her, she reached down and got another one. And it goes back and forth till six or whatever odd number it was, either or even number would be four or six are gone. So there's one left. He said, I looked at her and she looked at me and I looked back and looked at the package back and forth. And finally she reached over, broke it in half and pushed it over half of it to him. He said, I, I, I would have hit her if she was a man. He said, I was so angry. He said, when I finally got on the plane and as I'm getting my stuff out of my backpack to set in my seat, there is my package of cookies. <laughs> he said, I was left with no opportunity to repent to her 
And I was offered no opportunity to pay any kind of retribution to her. Let me tell you, the church exists to repent, call others into repentance, and to do good for him. Because after wild humility, and if that wouldn't make you humble, I don't know what would, the, ideal, uh, the idea of wild generosity comes out in this passage for me today. Wild generosity. Drop your eyes with me to verse 10. He's been saying, you brood of vipers, who warned you? He says, you got to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In verse 10, the crowd says, what should we do? It's a very disturbing paragraph, if you will, because in the midst of John's preaching, they're actually listening that they need to repent. they got to have these fruit of repentance. What is it that we should do? And maybe you're ahead of me, but at least three times, people come and say, what should we do? What should we do? What should we do? It is that Greek word, and I get it exactly. It's posio, but it's, it has a little extra part on it. It's, and it's actually about four different versions that are used in this section of Scripture that says to do something. What should we do? Verse 8, he says, bear fruits that, bear benef- that have the benefit of repentance. John says we must bear fruit that matches our repentance. So what specific actions do we see in here? Well, I don't think it's any mistake that there are three groups of people that come to him. Those who are listening, and as I was talking with the deacons earlier, the, the bakers, the bankers, the carpenters, the, the tradesmen of the day that it came and listened to him. That's one group. And then he also has the group of the soldiers and the group of the tax collectors. And most commentators will say that the soldiers and the tax collectors were probably the two lowest regarded by the men and women of faith in the community. And the soldiers that most theologians say were probably mercenaries, a little different than the Roman soldier. I read one commentary that said they most likely were Jewish soldiers who were oppressing their own people. And then the tax collectors, most of you have opinions on tax collectors. I, I had a tax auditor in my church that I pastored before I came in the Air Force. And he was, uh, we talked about him. Did we talk about, who did I talk with him about, Brenda, recently? Somebody, he had, a, he had a terrible habit in church. And it was, I won't say it was clearing his throat, it was clearing his nostrils. If you know that. That type of sound you make, sort of like a pig. He would do that midway through most of my sermons. Maybe he was commenting on my sermon. I don't know. That's, sorry, that's a subject for another day. But everybody, knew what, you know what Zacchaeus, you've read this story about Zacchaeus. And they were taking more money than was, what was required. And when John, when they come to John and say, what should we do? What should we do? What should we do? He doesn't say, well, you know, Come and live in the desert with me. Start eating honey and locusts. Start preaching like I am. Come on down and and be one of the Qumran community. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say to the soldiers, drop your swords, drop your guns, drop your spears. Or, Or he doesn't say, go attack the Romans and throw them out of here. He looks at the tax collectors and he doesn't say, hey, stop the taxation of my people. Or, or, you know, give me all you receive. You know, I I went from exhort to extort. He doesn't say that. He says, basically, do your jobs and do them with honesty and integrity. If you have an extra tunic, give one of them away. 
to somebody who doesn't have one. If you've got more food than you can consume, come on now. How many of you got a little extra food at your house? Mm-hmm. Okay, nobody wants to raise their hand. Preacher's picking on me. Oh, yeah. He answers the question by saying, basically, use your possessions properly, do your jobs rightfully, and handle people carefully and justly. That has to be comforting to you and me because he doesn't say, hey, you got to be a preacher just like me. He doesn't say you got to go do something crazy. He says, live with the forgiveness that you have received and live with generosity. When you start loving your things more than you love him, you got a problem. And so many of us have chosen to love our things more than our Savior. I'm going to close out this. I hear the kids coming in because we've got communion today. They're probably coming in and sitting in the back, and that's always a good thing. You know, we talked about that this week too. Anytime you hear a child crying in church, good thing. So, uh, and I'm glad so much for Ray and Julie and all those that have been involved in this uh, time. Thank you for the parents who brought their, their children here. But one of the shows, I haven't watched it a whole lot because, in fact, I was going to play a video clip of it, but I couldn't find one without so much profanity or so much bleeping. It's that guy, Gordon, Ram is it Ramsey? I want to say Dave Ramsey, but he's the <laughs> financial, which that starts in January. How do you like that, Lou? A segue right there. Uh, the 7th, the 7th? First Thursday in January, if you've never done financial peace, please see Lou. Uh, but Gordon Ramsay is a world-renowned chef. And if you've ever seen his uh, Nightmare Kitchens, I think was what it was called. And now he's called um, To Hell and Back. He's got a different uh, formatted show that he basically goes in to restaurants that are struggling. And usually he orders some, you know, a whole bunch of food and then he tastes it. And then he gives his commentary on it, and then he'll call out the owner or call out the chef, and that's when the profanity flies, and, and he will tell them, you're serving junk, if you will, bad stuff, yes. And, and I wonder how many of our churches are like that restaurant, or those restaurants that he's talking to. Oh, on the outside, it looks great, because you know, so many of these restaurants he goes into, the outside, the dining area, everything is wonderful, but the food that they're serving is junk. It's trash. This church should always be about serving up repentance, serving up forgiveness and generosity based on Jesus Christ, the Savior of this world. Brutal honesty is what Mr. Ramsey gives those owners and cooks and such. Because often those owners or those managers are more concerned about the external. They're concerned about gripping and shaking hands. They're, they're concerned about employees. They're concerned about the finances. And they forget that the reason you go to a restaurant is for good food. Let us never forget that the reason you come to church is to meet Jesus. That's the wild nature of Advent. It's a brutal honesty that the Savior has come. He's coming again. And what are you doing because of your relationship with him? We need to examine ourselves. Are we serving the world junk? 
Lord, keep the distractions away from us and let us serve our Savior. For to live a life of wild humility and generosity, we must remember that the King is coming. Stand with me, please, we pray. Our fathers, we come now to a time of invitation. It's a time, perhaps, that some of us need to look at our lives and realize that we have not been living for you. Or perhaps we've never come to a relationship with Jesus. In just a moment, we'll sing a song. I'll be standing here in front. And if someone here wants to come and ask Christ to come into their life, to profess him as Lord and Savior, to seek forgiveness from their sins, to understand this meaning of repentance and the burden free, the freeingness that it brings to us to seek forgiveness. Lord, let your Holy Spirit move right now. Maybe someone just needs to come to these steps and pray. We have people in our prayer team that will gladly come and pray with them. Whatever decision there is to make, this is the opportunity to do so at this invitation time. For the doors, doors of the church are open. 